The following message is brought to you by Baltimore Bible Church. For more information about this ministry, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. So now let's open our Bibles and follow along as we loose the scriptures and let them speak. Uh, well, today we have uh, uh, the privilege of uh, welcoming uh, Dr. Stuart Scott uh, to our pulpit. And uh, just to give you a little bit of a, a background, uh, just by way of a personal uh, story and testimony, it was in 1999 uh, that I first uh, started attending uh, Hope Bible Church, uh, 1999. And it wasn't too long after that uh, that our pastor, uh, Thomas Leak, let us know that there was a new book out uh, that he wanted us all to get. And uh, it was this book, and this is my copy of the book that I bought way back then, uh, The Exemplary Husband by Stuart Scott. And uh, he actually took us uh, through this book, and it was our discipleship uh, tool that we used uh, during those uh, early years that uh, we were at Hope Bible Church, and uh, just grateful uh, for the impact that uh, Dr. Stuart Scott has had in my own life and marriage. Uh, very grateful for, for him and for his ministry. Uh, Dr. Stuart Scott now directs the Biblical Counseling Program at Bob Jones University and Seminary. Uh, he also teaches adjunctly at the Master's University in Southern California, uh, Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, and at Faith Seminary in uh, Lafayette, uh, Indiana. He also brings uh, more than 40 years of experience in counseling and pastoral ministry, and uh, he also serves currently as the Membership Services Director and as a fellow with the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. For those of you uh, who are here with us for our uh, marriage getaway, you already know what a blessing uh, he has been uh, to us already, and uh, we're looking forward to him filling the pulpit for us today. So uh, please welcome with me Dr. Stuart Scott. It is a joy to be here. Uh, it is a, a real blessing and an honor, and I don't take for granted the opportunity to present God's Word to you this morning. Uh, it has been a joy, uh, again, to be here, uh, getting to know some of you, even yesterday, and just spending time with Pastor George and his wife, and what a joy they are. Uh, I know that you are extremely blessed uh, with them, and spending time with them... Um, it's very clear they count you as a blessing. Uh, uh, they love you very much. And sometimes I don't hear that <laughs> when I'm at, at churches and the pastors, I'm spending time with the pastor and his wife. It, it's, it's not that way. But uh, you are very blessed to have them. And the, I know it's mutual from their standpoint. Well, thank you for the the service so far is so encouraging. The music, the testimonies, what a blessing. I mean, I almost want to close in prayer. And uh, what, what a joy. And it, it is uh, just a blessing to be with like-minded uh, men and women who love Jesus, who love his word. Uh, a lot of what we were singing and the testimonies were all about change. And we just live in changing times. And uh, some of us don't like the changes that are going on around us. Politically, we want some changes. Those on the left want changes. So we see politically just emphasis on change. In the area economically, socially, everyone's looking for change. That's like a truism. 
Everyone's looking for change. The good news is there's good change, there's lasting change, and eternal change. Um, And I'd like us to take uh, God's Word this morning, if you'll open up to Titus, Titus chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at this great news, the good news, and God's Word about change. And I The more I was studying this, the people that the Holy Spirit through Paul was writing, the people on Crete, this island out in the middle of the Mediterranean, uh, this was a people group out there that I don't know that anybody in the Mediterranean world at the time thought change was even possible out there. Uh, These people can't change. Uh, They had a reputation around the whole entire world at that time. If you look down at verse 12 of chapter 1, you're going to see the reputation. One of their own uh, had written. It says, One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars. They were evil beasts, which just meant they devoured one another. They were, you couldn't trust them. You wouldn't want to turn your back on each of them. And then they were lazy gluttons. Lived for pleasure, didn't want to work. Kind of sounds like the United States a little bit. <laughs> I, you know, I, the more I was reading about them, I thought, yeah, I don't think I can trust anybody I see on, on TV anymore and uh, in, the politic, uh, in the political realm. And of all things, you know, when I go, okay, that's just a sort of a, a reputation, then the Holy Spirit, through the pen of the Apostle Paul, look at the next phrase. This testimony... It's true. <laughs> they are. And they are. The people who lived on this island were always liars. And they were always devouring one another. And they were lazy gluttons. This wasn't just one of their own saying this. This is the third person of the Trinity, who knows all things, says it's true. They are. Now, can you imagine the Apostle Paul showing up with Titus and say, we're going to preach the gospel. And we're going to raise up elders. Elders. Look at, the, look at the character qualities of these elders. I mean, I just can't imagine if I were Titus and Paul says, we're going to preach the gospel and we're going to raise up elders. Here? <laughs> Here? Is anyone even going to listen to the gospel? But look at the character quality of elders that are going to be raised up out of this people, these people, this people group. Up in uh, verse 6, you're looking to appoint elders in verse 5. If anyone's above reproach, the husband of one wife, his children are the best reading, they're faithful, well-managed, not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, which was their background, 
For an overseer is God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. And he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction, sound doctrine, and also able to rebuke those who contradict it. How in the world are you going to have that kind of change? One, from lost to saved, but then once they're saved, they're going to be this kind of character. That's change. And then you go to chapter 2. He's going to talk about some more change. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and in steadfastness. The older women, they likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. And they're to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children and to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. And likewise, urge the younger uh, men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to sh- uh, the opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. And bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything that they are to be well pleasing and not argumentative, not pilfering but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Um, And again, if I were Titus, I'd say, are we shipping some people in here on this island? Surely you can't see that kind of lasting change in people, but oh, yes, you can. With the gospel of Jesus Christ, people can go from darkness to light. People who are known to be liars, evil beasts devouring people, lazy gluttons can begin to have the Christ-like character that I just read. Not just among all of God's people, but the leaders are held to that and held up as an example. This should encourage us because we're kind of living in times like this where we look around at some people and we go, is it even possible? for them to change, right? And this is a letter of lasting change in changing times. Now comes to the basis. And I, when I was reading through this and looking at the passage that I want to sort of unpack today uh, for us to think and ponder and meditate and apply, this is so unusual for Paul to do this to start with the conduct and character and fruit in someone's life first, and then come to, here's the reason how it's done. Usually in all of his letters, it's doctrine, the basis of the gospel and salvation. Now, this is how to walk and have character. It comes out of that. But maybe on this island... They just needed to hear about the fruit first before they got to the root. Does that make sense? Like, you're going to 
It's like they're not even going to hear the basis of this without first hearing this is what life can be like. This is what character can be like. It's unusual for Paul to do this. The Spirit of God moving through the pen of the Apostle Paul then writes this. This is the reason how all of this change can take place. This is going to be sort of our outline this morning as we look at just these few verses. And here's the reason, the word for. All of this is possible. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So this morning I want us to focus on three foundational gospel truths towards lasting change so that we can live in a way that pleases our Lord and Savior and bring glory to God. So three foundational truths for lasting change. The first truth here is that God saves. God is a saving God. He transforms people, even Cretans, even people in the United States. God saves The self-sacrificing Jesus appears to save. And in your notes you have in your outline, God works a change from the outside in. We can't change ourselves. So we need change that comes from the outside in. And you know, even in our world, they're all about change, but not this kind of change. They're trying to change people that they can feel better and function better. This kind of change is how you can be reconciled with God through faith in Christ. That's man's greatest need right there. To be reconciled with God through faith in Jesus Christ. We have a problem, and the problem is that man's condition is that we're sinners. And apart from Christ, apart from God doing something from outside in, there is no hope. Titus chapter 3, verse 3. So if you're at chapter 2, just go to chapter 3, verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, The word today is addictions. Just enslaved to various passions and pleasures. Passing our days in malice and envy. Hated by others and hating one another. I watch the news sometimes and I'm just going, I'm just reading Titus 3.3. And the solution is this kind of change. God saving people through faith in Jesus Christ. As was mentioned, Pastor George uh, quoted Isaiah 64, 6, our righteousness is like 
filthy rags in the sight of God. There's nothing we can do. We're unable to even understand spiritual things apart from God doing a work. In 1 Corinthians 2, we're dead in trespasses and sins. Ephesians chapter 2. We're separated from God, alienated. We had no power over sin. We're just listening to voices around us. And right now, in the secular community, there are 500 secular psychologies. And it's people, unsaved people, telling unsaved people how to change. But it's not lasting change. Uh, This morning I was talking to some of the leadership and just, you know, those 500 different secular psychologies of trying to define who man is, man's need, and how to, to solve man's need are like rooms on the Titanic. And he's going from one room to the next. Well, that therapy didn't work. Let's try this one. Let's try a multiple of them. And you know what? We're all drowning, so let's go up a deck. <laughs> and there are 500 rooms on this thing right now. And you say, well, I'm feeling better and functioning better. Yeah, it, but you're going down. If you hold to these different false, uh, it's, they're lies. They don't even have the right view of man, man's problem, or the right solution. But that's where our world's at. It's shifting around from room to room on the sinking Titanic. And so we need change that comes from the outside in. And this is the good news of Jesus Christ. God sent his son. And this is what we have here in verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. The solution, again, must be outside us, and it has to be divine. This is but God in verse 4 of chapter 3. This is but God in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God and his grace and mercy appeared. When we see that phrase, the grace of God has appeared, Dr. George Knight, in his commentary on the pastoral epistles, says usually when we think about God's grace, it can be used in the broad sense of God stooping down, helping undeserving man, God's unmerited favor. Right? Or it can refer to a segment of God stooping down to help the the undeserved. And here it is talking about the one segment of the incarnation. This is grace in the person of Jesus. Jesus is grace personified. You want to see God's grace? Look at Jesus. He appears. And this salvation is provided, now this is what's interesting, it says, he appeared bringing salvation for all people. Now this kind of gets into, well, what does that mean, all people? Are all people going to respond? No. 
two different options here, and I think the second one is the preferable one. The first one is maybe it's referring to all, he brought salvation to all people groups that he's just mentioned in the first 10 verses. He brought salvation, provided salvation for the older, the older men, the older women, the younger men, the younger women, those bound, those free. It could, it could, some of the commentators suggest that because of the context, all people groups, five of them. Or it could mean he brought salvation, provided salvation for those that he chose before the foundation of the world that he was going to save. If you go to chapter one, verse one, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. So the faith of God's elect. And when you look even at verse 14 of chapter 2, the section we're looking at, that God, it says here, Christ, he gave himself for us to redeem us, not the world. I think it tends to be much more for those that he'd chosen in Ephesians 1 before the foundation of the world. He brought salvation for them. We don't know who they are. We just preach Christ. But God, all that the Father has given to the Son will come to him. Jesus redeemed his people from all lawlessness and purified for himself a people for his own possession. There in verse 14. What a great salvation And then he imparts his spirit, the Holy Spirit, in the lives of his children. In Romans chapter 8, verse 9, it says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. So in ministering to anyone, talking to anyone, this is first and foremost, where are they at with Jesus Christ and faith in him? This is not talking about all their politics And all of the other issues. This is where are you at with Jesus? And the gospel is not an invitation. The gospel is a command. It's a command to repent and believe. Or you are sinking. And you will incur the wrath of God. That Pastor George mentioned from scripture. It's a judgment coming. This isn't an invitation. This is repent and believe. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, the love of Christ constrains us to, to give this message out, that he died for all, that they who live should no longer live for their own advantage, but they will live for the advantage of Jesus now. And so you can see the difference between those who have been saved and those who aren't. Those who have not been saved still live for themselves. Life still orbits around themselves. Habitually. We all have those moments every day, don't we? Where I just think more about me and what I want. But the film strip, the habitual pattern is I'm seeking to live for Jesus. 
But anyone who just continually, habitually lives for themselves is not in Christ and continually needs to hear the, the call to repent and believe. Without this salvation, there is no hope. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So the first foundational truth for lasting change is that God saves. He has provided salvation from outside in. The second foundational truth for Christian living is that God trains those he saves. The same grace that saves us, it says in verse 12, training us now to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. This is change that takes place from the inside out. And that was even mentioned today, of God's changing us from the inside out. It first has to come from outside in. The gospel, faith in Christ. God graces us with repentance. He graces us with saving faith. But once he saves us, now he trains us. Another uh, word for this is progressive sanctification. He now seeks to save us. I mean save us, now train, uh, he trains us. This is an ongoing activity. Sinclair Ferguson, in his book on the whole Christ, because there's a movement to just live any way you want to live, even among professing Christians. He says this practical antinomianism against God's law has many forms today, he says. One of them is the secular gospel of self-acceptance masquerading as Christianity. He says the, as very concrete expressions and what are euphemistically described as lifestyle choices. He says, this is how I am. Uh, people will say this. Or God's just gracious and, and implied, I'm unlike you. If you disagree with me, God accepts me the way I am and therefore I will remain the way I am. And he writes, but it is misleading to say that God accepts us the way we are. Rather, he accepts us despite the way we are. He receives us only in Christ and for Christ's sake. Nor does he mean to leave us the way he found us, but to transform us into the likeness of his Son. Without that transformation and new conformity of life, we do not have any evidence that we were ever his in the first place. This, this whole movement of, I just live the way I want, God just accepts me the way I am. No, he accepts you despite who you are. And now he's going to change you. You know, this is the crab capital, isn't it? You catch them, but then you have to clean them. That's like sanctification. God saves us, and now he needs to clean us. Right? Transform us. He needs to purify him for himself a people for his own possession, Amen. which is, says in verse 14. 
This is the training. This is sanctification. And this is a cooperative effort now. Our salvation, we just bring our sin to to the Lord and he saves us. But sanctification is you don't let go and let God on this one. You will coast backward. Sanctification is like trying to walk up a down escalator. If you stop and you go, oh Lord, you just do it all, you will be going down. I can't tell you, I grew up as a new believer uh, hearing just let go and let God. Just, just be passive. Lord, you change me. And it wasn't happening. God will not obey for you. The subject of all the verbs of exhortations and commands is you. You do this by the power of the Spirit of God. It's dependent work. The Puritans would call it holy sweat. Another passage is you discipline yourself unto godliness. You work in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. He will not obey for you. And that's the number one answer I hear from people who are struggling with problems in their life. I'll say, well, what have you done about it? I prayed. What have you prayed? Lord, you do it. (laughs) You know, take my lust away. Take him away. Take her away. You know, (laughs) you do it all. The Lord gives us his word. No, God is not going to do that. He's going to help you change And this is through the word training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. So there's two different directions here. One is saying no to certain things and saying yes to things in, in its place. There's never breaking of habits in the Bible. It's replacing them. So first, it's a saying no, renouncing, uh, putting off. He redeemed us from all lawlessness, and so it's putting off the root, which is ungodliness, this lack of godly reverence. There's no fear of God in that. And putting off worldly passions, these fleshly desires that are only self-serving and seeking independence. So the root and fruit are right there of ungodliness. This ungodliness is the root, the fruit is worldly passions. And we're to be saying no to those. And instead, saying yes to live in purity, to put on, this is where Romans 13, 14, put on the Lord Jesus and make no provision for your flesh. You can can hear both directions there. Put on the Lord Jesus, make no provision. Here it's say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to say yes in this direction. Three different directions here. To live self-controlled, personally, upright with people, and godly before God. So three different directions. He uses these three adverbs here. Self-controlled. Now, this is not who the Cretans used to be. But this is the change that's wrought by faith in Jesus Christ. You can not only be saved, but you can be changed more and more into Christ's likeness. 
And here this word self-controlled, it's a fruit of the Spirit. It's said for the older men to be self-controlled. The older women are to be self-controlled, teaching the younger women to be self-controlled. This is verses 1 through 10. And the younger men, what do you help the younger men with? Just be self-controlled. I would think there'd be a list of 15 things there for younger men. Uh, I'm an older man, I guess 60 and above uh, in ancient times. I don't feel that way uh, most of the time. But it, just be self-controlled. And again, this is a fruit of the Spirit. What does this mean, self-controlled? Well, the linguistic key to the New Testament, self-controlled are desires and passions have to be controlled and directed towards God's interests. You've got to focus on the Lord and his interests. One writer said self-control is the ability to see a godly goal and choose that goal over and against competing desires. Well, that's it, isn't it? We all know this is a battle every day. It's a battle with me. It's competing desires all day long. It's the war between the spirit and our sinful flesh. And, you know, if I were on Crete, I was, if I were a Cretan, and we have the same kind of nature, sinful nature. Uh, we were all born with that. You might even say, but you just don't understand how strong my desires are. You don't understand. I've heard that in counseling. You just don't understand. I think we all would say, oh, we do understand. The competing desires. And one of the solutions is back in Romans chapter 6. It says, here's kind of a key of helping with this self-control. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. You go, yeah, that's easy to say. Well, how you get there is you have to consider. You must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God and Jesus Christ. We've been united with him in his death. We've been united with him in his resurrection. And then verse 11 in chapter 6 of Romans says you must keep considering that you are dead to self and sin and you are alive to Christ. If we don't have that mindset, we're going to lose the battle most of the time in in our desires. Um, That's our identity, by the way. That's who we are in Christ. We're dead to self and sin. We're alive to Jesus Christ. So Romans 6, verse 11, very key verse before verse 12, not let sin reign in your mortal body. And the word consider is the word that's translated keep dwelling on in Philippians 4, 8. Keep dwelling, keep dwelling on who we are. We're dead to self and sin. We are alive to Jesus Christ because of the resurrection of the Lord. So self-controlled. Secondly, upright towards others. This is, uh, there was a phrase in this day and time, uh, to cretize meant you were a liar. Uh, 
playing a Cretan with a Cretan was another phrase. Is uh, out trick a trickster. That was a, a phrase in the time. I mean, Crete was, it was well known. Uh, and it was true about them. And here it is, you know, you don't trick people and you don't lie. You're sincere and upright and you have integrity with people. Wow, you would have stood out on that island. Right? And this is the transforming, lasting change of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So have integrity in dealing with other people. And even in today's, just your yes doesn't mean anything. You have to sign like 20 pages of documents of legal language. And even then people break those kind of commitments. So we should stand self-controlled, live self-controlled, upright with people, and godly towards God, reverently devoted to him, keeping our eyes on Jesus Christ, and we're being transformed from one degree of glory to another as we keep our eyes on him. That's being well devoted to him. And that's not a list you check off, that's a life. This is a lifestyle. This is just a walk with the Lord. And he's not left us alone. He's with us. We live in his presence. The Spirit of God dwells in us to help us with this training process. It's the same word used for parenting. Uh, The discipline training. Bring them up in the discipline training and instruction of the Lord. That's the same word, the discipline training. That's what Christ is doing. He's our coach. The grace that appeared is the grace that trains. Christ is came to save us, and now he's perfecting in us what he started. He's our coach. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. So he's with us to train. Don't get lazy here. He won't just change you while you let go and let God. But he will help you obey when we remember who we are. Third foundational truth. All right, God saves and God trains. Here in verse 13, and God returns and rescues us. Verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing, that's the second appearing now. First appearing, incarnation. Here's another one. The appearing of the glory, that's the intrinsic glory, of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Rehearses again what he just mentioned in the training process. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify him for himself, a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. The Lord's coming back. And it could be today. (laughs) There are days that go by, I don't even think about Christ returning. And that's shameful. This was so on the minds of the early believers. Let me just show you one place with this is like, like this. The 1 Thessalonians. If you'll just turn over to 1 Thessalonians, a few letters back. These people were all over the place, sharing the faith of Jesus Christ, the gospel, uh, all over the place. 
he says here, the gospel came to you, uh, verse 6, and you became imitators of us. And then verse 8, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. Boy, they are on the move. And then they have this testimony about themselves in verse 9. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Well, there was salvation. They turned from idols to serve the true and living God. And then there's a comma, not a period. What else were they doing as they were going everywhere working and living out their faith? They were waiting for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus. Remember what Pastor George said, that we'll all have a day of judgment. Here here it mentions this. Whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Christ is coming back. And just thinking through this, this is our blessed hope. Our blessed hope isn't just that we won't grieve anymore. That is, a, that is a blessing. We won't have any more tears. But the blessed hope waiting for Christ to come back isn't just so we can see loved ones who have went to be with the Lord. Now I've got many in my family that are now with the Lord. That's not the blessed hope. The blessed hope isn't just to be free from this world, free from our sinful flesh, not to be bothered by Satan anymore. The blessed hope is Jesus. As much as we want to be glorified and be changed, Christ coming back is about Christ. We get to see our Savior. And all those other things are just like added benefits and blessings. Don't forget that. Jesus is coming back, and we should keep him on our mind. One of the Puritans, Richard Baxter, uh, it says about him, he wrote about himself, he said from age 21 on, he was seldom an hour free from pain. Uh, He was a virtual museum of diseases. And anything you could think of, he had So at age 32, he was given a few months to live. He had a bad lung infection. And so he was a pastor in a small town outside London. So, again, uh, constantly in pain. He's given a few months to live, and he thought, well, okay, I'm going to go out to this farmhouse. I'm going to take a lot of paper and pen, and I'm going to write everything about heaven. I'm going to study the Bible And I'm going to be there in a few months. I'm just going to study where I'm going to be. So he started writing 500 pages worth of writing called The Saint's Everlasting Rest. He didn't die when he was 32. He lived till he was 76. (laughs) I'm sure the, the physician died long before he did. But he said one thing that he learned from all of his reading in the Bible about heaven. And for believers, he said, if we are not heavenly minded, we will be of no earthly good. 
heaven, Christ's return has to be on our minds. Or we are going to be just like the neighbors without hope. We have to be thinking God saves, God trains, and the Lord is returning to rescue us, to be with him and from the wrath to come. We need to be eagerly awaiting like the early believers. This helps us even in our motivation to be pure. In 1 John 3, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself. This has a purifying effect in our own walk, is that we're thinking he could come back any time. There's nothing preventing him from returning. So we eagerly look forward to his return. And it motivates us also to zealously love him by participating and doing good works. Right there at the end of verse 14, it says, being zealous unto good works. Zealous, hot. The Greek word zealos is hot. You know, zealous for good works. These are the good works that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Ephesians 2.10. This is sacrificial good deeds for others out of love for them and out of love for God. In 1 Thessalonians 5, we're told to be on the hunt for these kind of good works. Don't wait for something to open up for you. Just be on the hunt for them. Do good to all people especially the household of faith. So just be on the hunt. Don't be slothful. Don't grow slothful, but be zealous. And then he closes, verse 15, with declare these things. Exhort, rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Change is possible. Lasting change. Eternal change. And aren't we thankful that God saves, God trains And God is returning for us and to rescue us, to be with him forever. Some implications, things just to meditate on. With salvation, are you assured of your faith in Christ? It's not by any works that you can do. None of your works, if you try adding your work to the gospel, it's a false gospel. It's Christ's works. Christ obedience and Christ obedience alone is the righteousness that we need. Our faith in him and him alone, not your works. Every other religion out there is all works-based, but Christianity is Christ's work, not ours. Are you assured that you have repented of your sin and trusting in Jesus alone for your salvation? in the area of sanctification or the training process. Maybe just assess, ask God, even today, search my heart. Is there something that I'm doing that I'm giving in to the ungodliness or worldly pleasures? Something specific that's a sort of a doorway to your sinful flesh that you just have to say, "I, I need to get this out, be aware of it, and now I need to attack it. Being in Christ, 
there is possibility here of change and growth and keeping your eyes on Christ so that the more you look at him, the more you love what he loves and you hate what he hates. And look for ways to just keep being zealous in the spiritual disciplines of putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. Reading scripture to know Christ. Praying to know Christ. Everything is about Christ. And then glorification. What are some ways that you can think through more more often about Christ's soon return. Maybe it's put posting notes around your house or apartment. A plaques. Something. To say, I just need to be reminded. I mean, I watch, sometimes I watch Fox News. And it's like listening to the 10 spies. You know, there's giants in the land. Yep. There's walled cities out there. Yep. Thanks for watching. <laughs> I mean, it is. It's like listening to the Ten Spies. It's like at the end, I'm like, oh, this is so discouraging. <laughs> we need but God. Amen. Right? That's how you need to, even listening to news, but God. God saves. God trains. And God's coming back. Amen. May it be today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this, uh, just the body of Christ here, this local assembly, part of the body of Jesus Christ. What a joy. Uh, This portion of Scripture, these four verses, I just encourage all of us, I've already done this, but just put it to memory. This is dwelling on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your salvation, sanctification, glorification, it's all in there. And just meditate on it, day and night. Anything above hell is a blessing. And to meditate on this just gives us the hope that we so need today for lasting change in these changing times. Lord, we praise you for what you have brought, what you have offered, what you command of all people to repent and believe. If there's anyone here today who has not done that, may they not leave until they've talked with some of the leadership of just, I I want this kind of change. Not moving around from one room to another on the Titanic, but I want this salvation the salvation in Jesus Christ alone. Praise you, Lord. We bless your name. We do it now. We will do it forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to Baltimore Bible Church. To hear other messages or to find out about upcoming events and where we meet for weekly church services, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. Baltimore Bible Church reserves all copyright protection under applicable law. Our copyright policy is available on our website and includes instructions for and limitations on duplicating all printed media, CDs, and digital files.